From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Hold on one second. Today is Cinco de Mayo? Yes. Cinco de Mayo. Oh my gosh. Why are we not celebrating Cinco de May 5th, Cinco de Mayo? You know the origin, the origin of Cinco de Mayo? I don't yeah. think everyone knows this. There was a ship. And the Lord came to Moses and said... No, well, no, 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 afterwards. But there was a ship. There was a ship that was... Ca- so the ship set sail from Europe. And it had containers, huge containers. And many of the containers, most of the containers, maybe all the containers were filled with Hellmans. You know, Hellmans. And as the ship was making its way across the Atlantic... It hit something tragically and went down. And the ship sank with all the Hellman's mayonnaise on it. Thus becoming known, and the day that it sank was the 5th of May, thus being known as Cinco de Mayo. That was not a true origin story. All right. Yeah, I, I should have apologized in advance for that one. Yes, Ray. I mean, that's... That's not really. That's no, 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 no. Nothing, nothing was true about that. Well, only because I said it with conviction. No, there's nothing true about that whatsoever. Do not confuse that Baba Misa with the truth. All right, so let's uh, let's jump in. Today we're going to be doing reading number five. Yeah, it's also short reading. We may do reading five and six. Let me just game plan here for a second. Uh, yeah, maybe five and six, and then tomorrow, seven and a half Torah. Well, seven is also short. We probably could do six, seven and a half Torah. All right, you know what? Let's just be present in the moment. Let's start with five, and we'll see, we'll see how far we get. All right, I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's jump in once again. Torah portion, as you know, is Kedoshim this week in the diaspora. Leviticus chapter 20. Oh, we got a chapter change. Verse number one, and it begins like so many verses in the Torah. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, And to the children of Israel you shall say, So God tells Moses to tell the people, Any man of the children of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among Israel, who gives any of his offspring to Molech, uh if you give, if one gives their children to Molech, they shall surely be put to death, the people of the land shall pelt him with stones, i.e. the parent that sent their kid to the Molech. Molech was a foreign idol, a foreign worship, not Jewish, not kosher. Molech, I believe, also involved a fire, but we'll get to that soon. And uh, it's punishable with, as a capital crime. Uh, verse 3, and I will set my attention upon that man. I guess we're assuming it's the dad that would be like, oh, hey, let's give the kid to Molech. 
um, and I will set my attention upon that man. And I will cut him off from amidst his people because he gave of his offspring to Molech in order to defile my holy ones and to profane my holy name. However, but if the people of the land ignore that man when he gives of his offspring to Molech, not putting him to death, if such a thing were to happen, that a father would give their child to the Molech idol, and the people wouldn't hold this guy, this dad, accountable. So verse 5, I will set my attention upon that man and upon his family, and I will cut him off, and all who, all, and all who stray after him, to stray after Molech from amidst their people. God says, I'm coming after him, his family, and the community as well for not doing anything. All right, I think we have, um, yeah, let's do two more verses. It's a very short reading. And the person who turns to Ov or Yedoni, and we spoke about that a few days ago or yesterday, Ov and Yedoni, those are the, um, the one who summons the spirits and speaks from his armpit or the one who puts a bone in their mouth and, you know, uh, as if, you know, to, to summoning the dead to speak from the bone in his mouth, whatever. So anyone who turns to Ov or Yedoni, these, these types of... Uh, for an idol worship or, or the practice of the occult to stray after them, okay? God says, I will set my attention upon that person. I will cut him off from amidst his people. You shall sanctify yourselves and be holy. Once again, the name of the portion is Kedoshim. And once again, God says here, be holy. Sanctify yourself, be holy. In other words, don't, don't run after all these Baba Mises. Be better than that. For I am the Lord, your God. All right, let's do Rashi. Rashi is going to give us some, uh, some deeper insight and allow us to use that as a launching point for further conversation. Okay, I just want to check. I just got a message that my internet is unstable. Can you guys still hear me? Just checking. Thumbs up? Yes. Yes, okay, good. All right, let's begin. Rashi, and to the children of Israel you shall say, i.e., Rashi says, enumerate the following punishments for the warnings that were given in chapter 18. We've talked about the prohibitions. Prior in 18, we talked about not worship, not following Yovin Yidoni, and not giving your kids to Molech. We talked about that. We talked about earlier in this week's Torah portion, not doing it. But in this reading, we talk about how if one does, it's potentially punishable by death. Shashul will be put to death by the court. Rashi clarifies, we're not talking about heavenly punishment. This is not divine retribution, which a lot of many prohibitions in Torah are in that category where the court, the, the human court is not going to do anything, but God will, will, will do what, what needs to happen. But in this case, a father who gives his son to Molech or gives his children or any of his children to Molech shall be put to death by the court. That means by the court, the human court. And if the court is not physically powerful enough to kill them by themselves, the people of the land must assist them. There you go. Now, what does it mean if they're not powerful enough? Physically? Politically? I don't know. But the point is that it's a, it's a communal concern to take out this dad who gives of his kids to the Molech, off, to the Molech idol. The people of the land, Am Haaretz, this may be rendered either the people of the earth or the people of the land as follows. The people for whose sake the earth was created, the people who are destined to possess the land of Israel through the observance of these commandments, i.e., i.e., the people of the land, the Jewish people, shall pelt, the people of the land, of the land of Israel, ultimately, shall pelt them with stones and bring justice to this egregious act. Molech, Rashi does not explain it here, but I think we had it before. Molech was... 
a, an idol or a, a form of worship that involved fire. They would sometimes do human sacrifices or child sacrifices to the Molech idol. Brutal and completely not kosher. Completely not Jewish, completely not kosher. Um, let's continue. And I will set my attention upon that man, Rashi says. I will set my attention. The Hebrew word is panai, which he reimagines as panai shali, my leisure, my leisure. What does it mean, my leisure, God's leisure? God says, so to speak, I will turn aside from all my affairs and occupy myself with him. Sure, I have pressing business otherwise, but the dude who gives his child to the molech, I'm all over that. Um, I'm getting involved. This man, but not the whole community. Okay? In other words, in other words, Rashi says, i.e., if the entire community give their offspring over to Molech, let's say everybody's doing it. It's gone viral. Everyone's into the Molech. So if everybody gave their kids to Molech, they are not punished with excision. Because the entire community are not to be cut off, you can't actually punish everyone. In this case, too big or too many to fail, a la big banks and airlines. Okay, so you're with me on this. If the individual gives the offspring to Molech, it's a problem. It's a problem always, but it's a punishable problem. Whereas if the entire community gives uh, their children over to the Molech idol, then it's... Can't cut off everybody. All right. And why is he cut off? I will cut him off from his people. Why? Because he gave of his offspring to Molech. Rashi says, isn't this superfluous? We know that. We know that the, the issue is here that the guy gave over his child to Molech. However, since scripture says, there shall not be found among you anyone who passes a son or daughter through fire. Which was the Molech. The Molech was a fire. The worship involved fire. So Torah says in Deuteronomy, don't pass your son or daughter. No one should, no one amongst your people should pass his son or daughter through fire. But Rash says, how do we know that the law applies as well to his son's son or his daughter's son? How do we know that it, it applies to a grandkid? So wait, I can't, not I can't, but one can't give over their children to Molech. What about their grandkids? Right? Aha. Loophole. Right? We only said you can't give your children. What about grandchildren? Scripture therefore states, because he gave of his offspring to Molech, of his offspring means of any of his offspring or his offspring's offspring, including grandchildren. And how do we know that this also applies uh, even to one's illegitimate offspring, i.e. one produced from a halakhali illegitimate union? Scripture therefore says in the next verse, when he gives of his offspring to Molech, of his offspring means whether legitimate or illegitimate. There you go. Illegitimate would be, for example... God forbid, cases of incense or infidelity, etc. A child born of that would be um, considered to be halachically illegitimate. And in that case, one might say, well, maybe I can give that child to the molech. And the, the Torah, Rashi points out, no, the Torah says three times not to give your offspring to molech. That means in all situations, whether it's your child, your grandchild, or your illeg- illegitimate child, either way, in all cases, you can't do that. No Molech worship. Okay? Next, in order to defile my holy ones, Rashi says, this, this refers to the congregation of Israel, which is sanctified to me. In other words, 
In other words, God is saying, God is saying that I will cut, I will cut off this person. Why? Because he gave his offspring to Moloch in order to defile my holy ones. Who are my holy ones? The Jewish people, the congregation of Israel, which is sanctified to me. Um, so therefore, the person who gives their child, if somebody's given their child to the Molech, it, it blemishes, it harms the entire community. Now, then the next verse says, but if the people of the land ignore that man, the double expression, Rashi says, because it says in, in the Torah, if they conceal, they conceal, or if they ignore, ignore. It says twice. in English it's once, ignore. But in the, in the Hebrew, use a double expression. Rashi explains the meaning behind the double expression. The double expression intimates, it hints that if they ignore one matter, even one sin, they will eventually ignore many matters. So once you turn a blind eye, once you pretend not to see, then you're going to start not seeing even bigger things. And if the small Sanhedrin of 23 judges ignores the matter, eventually the great Sanhedrin of 71 judges in Jerusalem will ignore the matter as well. So what's happening here is, and Rashi derives this, it's based on the Medjish Torah Kohanim, but Rashi derives this from the double expression of Ha'alem Yalimu, conceal, concealed, is that one concealment or one, you know, brushing something under the rug or whatever, one leads to the other. So you overlook something once and like, okay, whatever. It's not, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Guess what happens next? It happens again. It happens again. Because you don't, so to speak, nip, nip it in the bud, so it, it, it keeps not coming back. And maybe when it comes back, it's, it's more intense, more severe than the first time. Because now the person is comfortable with that behavior. Now, I'm not only speaking about the molech, right? This is true in life. We give ourselves, or others for that matter, a pass. You know, we did it once. Whatever it is, leaving it vague intentionally. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the concept, right? So there's a thing that we told ourselves, we would never do that, right? That's something that we would never do at, at a certain stage in our lives. And then, you know, we, we, we got close to it. And then, and then we retreated. We ran away. And then we got close again. And we got even a little bit closer. And then... At some point, one day, it so happened that we just went ahead and went all the way. We did it, whatever that it is. The question is, how do we view it afterwards? Do we say, you know what, okay, listen, I did it, and I'm just not doing it again. Or do we turn a blind eye almost to ourselves and say, all right, we'll pretend it didn't happen, life moves on. If we don't deal with it, then it's very possible for it to happen again. And when it happens again, now it's already... A habit. Now it's already something that we're training ourselves to do. It's not just a one-time, you know, exception to the rule. Now it's becoming the rule. And then, of course, the way life works is we have to go. It 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 gets um, more intense or more severe, whatever the right language is. It gets intensified each time. Why? Because, well, now that that line is not there, so we can keep on pushing the envelope to go, uh, you know, further and further. The point is that whatever area we're talking about, it's good to address things and not brush them you know, under the carpet and not pretend that they don't exist. So the Torah here says that if someone in the community has given their child to Molech, this horrific and very not Jewish form of child um, uh, sacrifice, 
and the community turns a blind eye, guess what's going to happen? More of the same and pro oh, I'm breaking up. Sorry. It's this internet connection. We're having internet challenges here at, uh, here at, 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 at HQ. Um, all right. Hopefully, if, if, if anything cuts out, feel free to jump in and just you know, ask me to go back. Um, but hopefully it's making sense in context, even if, even if a little bit, uh, you know, chopped out. The point is, the Torah says, if they, if they turn a blind eye, if they look away, look away, why does it say look away twice? Because that's the nature of looking away. Once you look away once, you're going to look away twice. Once you're pretending it doesn't exist, once, you'll do it again. That's how it works. Once you brush something under the carpet once, you're just going to add more to that pile. And then what happens? It gets worse and worse until such point in time that you probably can't ignore it. But then you're dealing with a big problem as opposed to a little problem, right? It's like a little leak in the house, a little leak in the roof. What do you want to do? You want to, you want to wait till it's a big leak and starts damaging the house? Like, how is that? It's not a solution, right? There's a little leak. A little, it rains, a little bit of water comes in. Like one little area of water comes in. Okay, that's a red flag. But if you turn away, yalimu, you're going to turn away again. So what's the, what's the difference whether it's a little leak or, you know, a little bit more than a little leak? You'll also turn up, ah, I'll deal with it whenever. And then what happens one day? Right, one day, the next thing you know, the whole thing comes in. And obviously the, the message here is, don't ignore it the first time. It's like, at least I was taught this, maybe you were taught this also. When you get a little crack in the windshield, you know, sometimes you're driving and like a stone from the, you know, kicked up from a truck or whatever it is, you know, hits your windshield and you get like a little, a little chip. Well, that little chip can go a long way. Ignore the chip. Recording in progress. Look at that. We cut out officially. Hold on. I feel like. All right, friends, I feel like we cut out for a second. Not I feel like. I know we cut out for a second. And I feel like I'm going to get on to my own personal um, hotspot so that we avoid this. So give me a second. We're just talking about chips in the, uh, in the windshield. And the next thing you know, we got chipped out of uh, contention here with the Wi-Fi. Give me a second. Let me get on a better connection, hopefully. Okay. Just take a moment. All right, there may be a quick transition period. Let me know if you can still hear me. Thumbs up if you can hear me. Yes, still good. Okay, I think we're good. Yeah, anybody, thumbs up, are we good? Yeah, okay, all right. I'm hoping this, uh, hoping this works. All right, so what I was saying is, I was taught when you're driving a car, yeah, and you get a little chip in the windshield, you address it right away. Why? Because if you don't address it, then something else hits the windshield. The next thing you know, it's going to like, the crack is going to grow. It's going to spider. It might come in or it might come out. Whatever it is, it's not safe. You don't drive with a chip windshield. You get it fixed. Either they replace it or they can inject some, I don't know, some like glue or something into it. I've done that before also. Either way, the point is, 
Vimhalim. If you're gonna if you're gonna like brush away something, then yalimu, then it's gonna be you're gonna brush away more. And before you know it, instead of a small issue, it's gonna be a huge issue that you have to deal with. And let's avoid that. Let's avoid dealing with huge issues. Okay, back inside. Let's get back into Rashi. I will set my attention upon that man, upon his family. Here we go. Rashi says, Rabbi Shimon says, which if you took the class last night, you know that that's already a flag. Not a red flag, but that's a point of note. Rashi's quoting the name of whoever said it. Aha! How come Rashi, (laughs) all the other Rashi's today didn't quote any rabbi something said that? And they're all taught by rabbis. It's all from the same Midrash, Torah Kohanim. But here, and I don't have the answer, I'm just telling you that once you learn the Rebbe's Derech Halim, or once you learn Rashi, like the Rebbe, then you realize that if Rashi says, Rabbi Shimon says, aha, something about Rabbi Shimon that is noteworthy. This Rabbi Shimon, by the way, is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the great Rashbi, who uh, we celebrate his, we mark his passing and celebrate his life on Lagva Omer. Rabbi Shimon said, in what way did the family sin that they are punished? Okay. So uh, if the father gives the child to the molech, why should God set his attention upon the, upon the family? What did the family do wrong? Listen to this. However, this teaches you that there is no family in which there is an unfair tax collector, which may not be regarded as consisting entirely of tax collectors, for they all cover up for him. It's a very, very interesting analogy. There's no family in which there is an unfair tax collector where the whole family are not tax collectors. In other words, if there's one guy that is financially abusive and the family is not stopping this person, I'm just saying financially abusive, unfair tax collector sounds like that financial abuse to me, right? Then really, essentially, you got a whole family of unfair tax collectors, of financial abusers. Why? Because they're not stepping in and stopping it. So if the father can go ahead and give his, give his child to the molech, an uh, idol, human sacrifice, a horrific thing, spiritually devastating, physically devastating, and, and, and the family is not stopping it, then essentially the whole family is complicit in molech worship. They are accessories, as it were, to the molech crime. And that's what Rashi is saying, quoting Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. All right. Let's jump back in. And I will cut him off. Why is this stated? Rashi asked rhetorically, why, why, why mention this? Because since scripture says, I will set my attention upon that man and upon his family, one might think that his entire family is included in the punishment of excision. If God is looking at this man and his family, and then kares, which is that spiritual soul excision, is on the table, you might think that that's on the table for not only him, the father, but also for the whole family. Scripture therefore says, I will cut him off. That man is to be excised from the people of Israel, but the entire family is not excised, is not included in the excision, but with suffering. Well, that doesn't sound great either, but at least it's not, or it's not, it's not kares, it is yesurin. Yesurin are suffering. um, Suffering, uh, what else is it? Tragedy, it's, yeah, hardship, difficulty living a difficult and painful life. But it's not the level of, it's not, it's not, it doesn't rise to the level of kares, spiritual excision. So just putting all the pieces together, God is telling us, the, the mitzvah, the Torah is telling us the mitzvah about somebody who gives his offspring to molech, 
but the people ignore that man. The people turn a blind eye. Um, and his family didn't step up. So God says, I'm going to be looking closely at that man and the family. And then I will cut him off, not his family, him, only him. What about the family, Yisurin? They're going to suffer difficulty and challenges and hardships in life, but not, not, the soul is not cut off. Let's continue to stray after Molech. This phrase comes to include in this penalty any, any other pagan deity that one worship in this manner, even though it is not the, this, its mode of worship. What that means is, if you worship any other idol in the same way that you worship the Molech, i.e. with fire, it's problematic. Are you with me? You might say, well, the Molech is worshipped with fire and something else is worshipped, let's say, with water. You poured water. Let, theoretic. I don't know these things. I don't know what ancient um, idolatrous pagan rites look like. I don't even know what modern pagan rites exactly look like. But I will tell you that some involve fire, like the Molech, and some maybe, maybe, perhaps, involved water. So let's say for the water idol, instead you did the fire ceremony. So one might say, well, I didn't serve idols because I did it wrong. No, the Torah says that's a, that's, a pro, that's a violation. Why is it a violation? Because you're still utilizing a mode of worship, even if it's not its mode of worship, you're still using a mode of worship for those other idols. So when it comes to the molech, anytime you use fire, even if it's not the molech idol itself, it's still problematic. There's another form of worship that also is across the board, no matter what idol you're talking about, and that is, actually bowing down to the idol. So even if that idol is not typically worshipped by bowing down to it, bottom line is if you bow down, not you, if one bows down to it, they have officially worshipped that idol. That is bad news. Okay, let's move on to the final Rashi. You shall sanctify yourselves. Kedoshim. The verse says, Vihizkadishtem. You shall sanctify yourselves, and then you will be holy. In other words, there's a verb, and there's a noun. Or maybe an adjective, actually. Right? The verb is sanctify yourselves. Do holy things, and then you will be holy. Holiness does not arise automatically or magically or in a vacuum. It is the product of how we live our lives. In the Torah understanding. Rashi explains what, what it means to sanctify yourselves. Practically, what are we doing? In this context, this refers to separation from idolatry. By disengaging from idolatry, you will be holy. That's an act. The, the disengagement, the separation, is also active. Especially with regards to some things, right? So sometimes... To disengage is passive. Sometimes it's very active. In this case, it's active. And that's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to do holy. To do holy means to not do idolatry. And then you will, in fact, be holy. So do the holy things by not worshiping idols. And then you will be holy. That will be your status. Your Facebook status. All right. I want to just elaborate on that last point. The idea of doing and being. So the reality is that we all have a soul that is pure and holy. And nothing that we do or don't do can affect that, essentially, at the core. That's a foundational Jewish teaching that is everywhere in Judaism, from philosophy to mysticism, right, Kabbalah to Chakira. It's everywhere. The, the notion that a soul 
is pure and holy and is unbreakable, that's, that's a given in Judaism. So then why do I have to do something to be holy? I am holy. It says, Do holy things and then you'll be holy. Bro, I'm already holy. I don't need to do holy things. I'm already holy. So here we get into a nuance that is very important to emphasize and to, to highlight. And that is that yes, without a shadow of a doubt, we are all holy. We have holy souls and our essence is pure and holy. As we say in the Talmud, Hagam Shechata Yisraelu. Even when someone sins, there's still a Yid, there's still a Jew. In other words, the definition of who you are, of who one is, never changes based on the actions. So then why do holy to be holy if I already am holy? And here we come to a beautiful answer. And that is that if you want to know your own holiness, if you want to tap into your holiness, if you want to access your holiness, if you want to be in a state of revealed holiness, then that's a product of what you do. Imagine, imagine, God forbid, I mean, it's a, it's a negative scenario. Imagine a child is orphaned at a very young age. Parents pass away tragically. And now Nebuchadnezzar, this child at a young age is, is orphaned. Now further, and, and let's say the, the child is very young, four years old, three years old. Now let's say the parents left this child a lot of money. Very, like a very, very large inheritance. Millions of dollars. $20 million. Child at three years old has no clue. First of all, what's a dollar? Second of all, what's a million dollars? Third of all, what's $20 million? What's an inheritance? The whole thing doesn't mean anything. The whole thing doesn't make sense. Child is dealing with trauma anyway. And the child doesn't have a concept of what money is and what inheritance is and estates and all that stuff. It's not, it's not even, it's not, it's not in the frame of reference altogether. Imagine if no one ever tells the child about that money. Imagine the child, somebody takes the child in and grows up and goes to school and goes to college, gets a job and never knows. Again, how is that possible? All right, I'm giving you an example, right? It doesn't have to be a real example. It's just a concept. Imagine this child grows up and never knows, you know, has no clue, even as a, as a, as a young adult, even as an adult. This, this child is now an adult, 30 years old, and has no idea about the $20 million. That's, by the way, probably been accruing interest for the last 27 years. Okay? So now, one day, so, so freeze the story, freeze the scenario. The, ch- the, the adult now that has $20 million, $25 million in their name. Yeah? Are they rich? Are they wealthy? Depends how you define it. Theoretically, yes. But if you don't know about it and you're not spending it and you're not enjoying it, what kind of wealth is that? It's a theoretical wealth. It's not a practical wealth. The child doesn't even know. Not the child. The child didn't know. The adult even doesn't know about the money. So so are you rich? I don't know. Debatable. Again, conceptually, yes. Practically, no. This adult is struggling with a job, finding a job, keeping a job. 
eking out a living, living paycheck to paycheck. Meanwhile, somewhere there's an account in his name for $25 million. He has no clue. Is he rich? Not really. So you can have the money, but if you don't know about it, if you're not tapping into it, you're not actually wealthy. The whole thing is when, the ch- when this person now finds out about it, they find out about it and now they use it, they tap into it, now they're wealthy. Baruch Hashem. Now they've accessed it. The same thing the Shur the Neshama with the soul. So we all have a soul. It's pure, 100%. How valuable is it? Infinitely valuable. Wonderful. Fantastic. Here's the question. Are we aware of it? Are we tapping into it? Are we utilizing it? Are we expressing it? A person can go through their whole life and not tune into their soul. Not be aware, really aware, that they even have a soul. Even though they're aware of it, you know, on some level, but consciously, in day-to-day action, they might not live by their soul. And it's not a judge. I'm not making a judgment now. I'm not. It's not a critique. It's a fact. And so the Torah tells us that if you really want to be holy, not theoretically holy. If you really want to be holy, do holy. You want to be rich, tap into the guilt that you have. At least know about it. <laughs> Access it from time to time. Check your balance, at least. So access your soul and you'll be holy. Do the things, like in this case, it means not abstaining from idolatry, but do the things that are holy and you'll be holy. That's the message. That's the final verse of the Torah. And it's of this Torah reading. And it's eminently powerful. It's really, really beautiful. Because holiness is inherent, it's essential, it's absolute, but that's not the holiness that we're talking about here. Be holy means not theoretically you're holy, it means you recognize it, you feel it. And for you to feel it, for you and I to feel it, we gotta be doing something. It's like a relationship, right? I love the other person, okay? How are you expressing the love? I'm not doing anything for them. I don't call them, I don't speak to them, I don't visit them. I don't give them anything. I don't help them out. I don't listen to them. But I love them. What kind of love is that? What kind of love? I'm holy. So what do I do? Nothing. Any holy things? Nope. All physical mundane things. Any higher holy things? Nope. Just lower stuff. But you're holy, right? Yes. Why? Because I have a soul. Okay. That's true. All of that is true. But if it's not expressed... What kind, of, what kind of holiness is that? So here we get to a key idea in Torah. And that is we are what we do. We are what we say. We are how we think. Who we are is not as much a product of our essence as it is our thought, speech, and action. Which is why in Kabbalah, the garments of the soul, i.e. thought, speech, and action, the three garments of the soul, are the most critical parts of the soul. Because the other stuff, that's all deeper, essential wiring. The question is, practically speaking, right now, in real time, what am I thinking? What am I saying? What am I doing? Is it higher stuff or lower stuff? Is it holy or the opposite? That's the question. We live in a real space, in real time. Torah encourages us to, tr- to, to elevate that space to a higher standard. 
All right, that's all I got for today. Thank you very much for joining me for Daily Power Parsha. Questions or comments? Yes, Ray. Hold on, hold on. You got to unmute. I just requested an unmute, just if you can follow that little request. Yes, got you. Um, so I thought, so you're saying that the soul is whatever and we can't change it? No, what I'm saying is the soul is holy, but that's not something we did. That's, that's what the soul is. The question is not about the soul, but yeah, I also did mention about wiring. You know, each of us, the soul and Kabbalah, the Kabbalah discusses the soul as being comprised of 10 soul powers. Three intellectual, Chachma, Bina, da, Das, um, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, Chabad, and then Chesed, Gvurah, Teferis, Netzach, Malchus. Love and discipline and compassion and ambition and humility and connection, relationships and, and, and leadership. We all have these 10, 10 powers. To start changing the wiring of our soul and how we feel, it's like what I said last night, changing your affinity from vanilla ice cream to chocolate ice cream. Can you do it? Maybe. But you know what you can do? You can actually eat chocolate ice cream as opposed to vanilla. In other words, on a behavioral level, it's much easy to move that needle. Literally what we spoke about last night. To rewire how I feel inside, more difficult. To change or modify my behavior, so I have two examples right here. Yeah, I have a little orange, uh, I don't know what this is called, like a, I don't know, a mandarin, tangerine, whatever it is. This is like a little, little orange thing and an apple. Okay, boom. So let's say I love this, eh, I don't love this. That's how I feel about it. Let's just say I like both. But let's just say that I like this, the orange, and I don't like the apple. Changing the inside would mean I should, I should start liking this. I, I, I don't know if I can get myself there. That's why I said the, the inner wiring, everyone's wired a certain way. What you love, what you don't love, your chesed, your gvura. Chesed is what you're attracted to. Gvura is what you're repelled from. Like Everyone's got a different wiring. So to change that is a, a much larger operation. That's going to require a lot of heavy, heavy work. But you know what I can do on a behavioral level? Theoretically, if this was unholy, theoretically, if this was unholy and this was holy, the Torah says, do holy things and you'll be holy. In other words, in my example, it's not literal, eat the apple and now you're doing something holy. And in this moment, in this space, you're being holy. You're being holy. Yes, at the core, your soul, the core essence of the soul is holy. Sure, sure. But it's not about the essence. It's not about accessing the essence or, or changing something about what's going on inside. It's doing, saying, and thinking holy things, positive things. You can change something or you cannot. You can with a lot of effort. But the goal is here, the, or what the Torah is suggesting, is not that we change the inside. It's rather that we do the things, walk the walk, walk the walk, whether or not we feel excited about it or not. Walk the walk. That's it. It's holy. It's the right thing. Do it. If you help a neighbor, you really help a neighbor, and they're very grateful, should you tell them, you know, by the way, I almost didn't help you today because I was almost too lazy to help. Do they care that you were almost? doesn't matter. You helped. We live in a very practical world. So the bottom line, the Torah says, God says, do holy things. And now you're holy.
I'm not holy before, you're also holy, but you didn't really, you don't, you're, not, you're not living in that space until you do holy things. I don't feel like doing holy things. It doesn't matter. You don't have to feel like it. Just do holy things. That's the message for us. Like I said last night, fake it till you make it. Do the holy things. Do the right thing. The Torah has a whole list in this week's Torah portion. You know, in fact, if you want to know the number, I have the Gunnik edition right here. If you want to know the number of mitzvahs in this week's Torah portion, there's a lot. Remember, there's only 613 total mitzvot. And in the Torah portion of Shoftim, you have, oh, it's not as, not as many as I thought, you have 14 positive and 27 negative mitzvot. So 14 plus 17, hold on. Is this the right thing? Akev? No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm scratched that from the record. I'm literally reading the wrong, the wrong thing. Kedoshim. Here we go. 13 positive mitzvahs and 38 prohibitions. So 13 plus 38 is a grand total of 51. There are 51 mitzvot in this week's Torah portion out of 613. 51 out of 613. According to my calculation, that's like a twelfth of all the mitzvahs in the Torah are in this week's Torah portion. One twelfth which means there's a lot of things to do that the Torah tells us in this Torah portion that help us act in a holy, ma- uh, holy fashion. So the moral of the story is, let's look at our opportunities, seize the day, carpe diem, seize the day in doing a mitzvah, in making the world a better place, irrespective of how we feel, we like it, we don't like it. It's okay, we'll get over that. We'll get over our feelings. They change anyway, right? Let's do the right thing, say the right thing, think the right thing, and that way we are holy. And if we're holy, if we're doing holy things and we're holy, and you know, we're more, we're more likely to influence the other and make this world a beautiful garden for Hashem. All right. Thanks for joining me today for DPP, Ray, Sarah, and all of you who are listening. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. And we'll see you tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. Thank all right. You, pleasure. Yes, thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. Bye, guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day.